ago, I was reminded of this. It's a truth about life. Most of us have experienced it. Um, I was reminded of it both quite beautifully and then quite stunningly and painfully. Now, a lot of you know, and I know you don't like them, but I'm a big fan of Bruce Springsteen, so you can boo me and email me later, right? I've gone to a lot of concerts. Everybody that goes to these concerts knows how many they've been to. Nobody ever told me I should start counting, so I have no idea how many I've been to. But I'm a br big Bruce guy. Nah, I'm not, you know, the politics I don't care about. For me, it's the music and the songs and what he's talking about. Anyway, some of you might know he has a, a Broadway show right now. And so it's in a tiny little theater, the Walter Kerr Theater, right off of Times Square. I mean tiny. Uh, when you walk in, you're like, whoa, you can't believe that he would be in this tiny little theater. And so the tickets are really hard to get, like ridiculously hard to get. And uh, if you don't, you know, just an average ticket in Broadway is a few hundred bucks, right? But the secondary market, these things are thousands of dollars. I got blessed. Well, some of you that like Bruce say blessed. Some of you might, that don't would say unlucky. But anyway, I was able to get, they have a, a balcony. And in the balcony, it's literally straight up over the stage. I mean straight up over the stage. There's two rows. Joan and I got seats in the last row in the theater, and the tickets were only 75 bucks. Like, uh, the guy that I was sitting next to had bought his secondary market, and he's like, you're the guy that actually only paid 75 bucks to be here, you know? And it, so we had, we went and we had this great night there, but it wasn't just the show, though. Let me, let me explain to you what I was thinking about life that night. You know, we were blessed to be there, but we made a whole getaway. We had dinner in a, a really like an old New York City restaurant, candlelight, little kind of tucked-in thing. Um, then we went across the street to the show, and after the show, our son John, who lives in Manhattan, he met us, and we went over and, and had dessert with him right after. And then John left, and Joan and I went to Times Square, and we went to all the different places you could go to in Times Square and stayed up way late. But that's okay, because we got to go hotel room. We stayed in the hotel room, we slept in, got up, had a late breakfast, walked all the way up to Central Park, Right? Went in Central Park, walked all around Central Park, and I mean, we saw the ice rink and the zoo and all the rest. I mean, it was like life, it was like a movie. I mean, we don't have this many moments, right? We got four kids, so there's not that many of these moments piled up over the years. This was one of those moments, right? I mean, music, family, love, food, wine, walks in the park. It was life at its best, beautiful and meaningful and lovely. And that was January 10th. And January 11th, um, we got the car, and we're driving home, and the phone rings. And it's my son, Caleb. And Caleb had been skiing. And uh, Caleb, who's kind of a man's man kind of kid, called his mom to say that he had fallen um, while he was skiing, and he didn't quite feel right. And if you know Caleb, it, when I, f I would be calling my mom, mommy if I fall. Like, I could have bruised, I could have broken a fingernail, and I would have been calling Joan for help. When Caleb calls his mother to say he doesn't feel good, like, warning lights go off, right? That's not good. Well, to make a long story short, we had him go to the, uh, the, the doctor that's uh, on the ski slope. The doctor realized there was something wrong. Um, he had torn his spleen literally in half, and he was bleeding out internally. And so they had paramedics meet an ambulance, and Joan and I, you know, we didn't know it was that bad, but we wound up, he's calling us, we went right to the hospital, and we wound up spending four nights, uh, you know, the first night we slept there uh, with him um, in the ICU. Many of you guys prayed for Caleb. Um, thank you for doing that. Literally, as soon as the all-church prayer thing went out, he started literally healing. He's back at school. He's doing fine. But, but here's my point with that. 
our world seems at once to be filled with two very different experiences. There's such beauty here and goodness and joy, right? But then it's also overlaid, it's, it's commingled with such pain and loss and hurt. If people find each other, they fall in love, they stand before us, they make promises, we cry, they have children, they become a family. But then somebody falls out of love, and there's hurt and betrayal and separation. People pray for a long time because they're unemployed, and they finally land the big job, and it's a good job with good pay and meaningful work, but over time, it turns out that it's just a job. And, and days turn into weeks, turn into years, and you're grinding it out. I, I saw it last week. A few of you know I wasn't here um, two Sundays ago because my nephew was wrestling uh, in Atlantic City in the States. It's a big deal. If you can just get to Atlantic City, it's a huge deal. And my nephew came in fifth. And that might not sound impressive unless you know New Jersey wrestling. If you know New Jersey wrestling, that's really impressive. Clearly, he gets his athletic ability from me. But that's another issue. Um, and so uh, we got home, and uh, my friend Mike called me on the phone. And Mike was a longtime um, wrestling coach for kids in, uh, in Long Valley. And Mike called, and I, I assumed he was calling to congratulate me on Caleb. And uh, I picked it up. I said, hey, you know, it's all pumped up about Caleb. And he was going to tell me or, uh, about uh, Marco, my nephew. And he, I said, hey, yeah, and, you know, thinking that was a conversation. He goes, listen, um, Lisa and I really need to talk to you. She just got diagnosed with stage three cancer. Do you have that? Where it's like life at one moment just seems like perfect and, and beautiful. And then at other moments you're like, when is this going to end? Now, none of this should take us by surprise. If you've been walking with us at Menem over the last couple months, we've, we spent the winter in a series called Origins where we were looking at our shared beginnings, our DNA, our shared stories, all coming out of the book of Origins in the Bible called Genesis. We were discovering why things are the way they are and why we are the way we are. Now, if I can just take you back to that for a moment, because this series, All Things New, is not about origins, it's about destinations, and it's about where you're going and what's going to happen, and most of you don't know this. And so in order to understand the end, you have to understand the beginning because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and they were so good. He, he created, he says, man and women and they were very good. He created for them a, a garden on this same earth where they were invited to live and rule and reign. There was rivers and trees and plants and animals and food and meaningful work and love. It was all so good. God dwelt with them there. The writers in Hebrew describe this four-part experience of shalom. Shalom is a Jewish word for peace and harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. That's what, what God provided. All of it with God, peace within ourselves, peace with one another, living harmoniously in the creation which was working with us. And it was also good. 
It was, in a very real sense, what Jesus asks us to pray for. It was the kingdom of heaven on earth. We once dwelt there. We were made for that kingdom. If you get nothing else out of this talk, understand, you and I were not made for the kingdom we find ourselves in. That's why it feels so foreign often. That's why we often feel like, what is going on? You weren't created to live like this. But... As we saw, because of our, our lack of faith and trust in God, allowing God to be God, following Him, our desire to be our own God, our own God, choices we made, it was all lost. It was all unwound. What we were meant for, the kingdom we were designed to be in, we were removed from. And, and so our realities have changed. Now, make no mistake about it. We still in our lives see the residue all around us of the kingdom that was, the kingdom that we were meant for. We still experience it. I, Joan and I were walking through Central Park. I mean, we saw young lovers. We saw grandparents and grandchildren. The ice rink, the zoo, it was fantastic. But so often, the hint of that kingdom is drowned out in our lives by, by the things of this one, disappointment and pain, loss and hurt. So much so, so much so, that statistically, in our generation, we are losing hope like no generation ever before. We're losing hope as a people, and the generation behind us, by the way, at even incremental levels, we are losing hope at record levels. Do you know, I didn't know this, but do you know what the number one reason um, for disability is worldwide? Depression. I mean, we, so many of us are painfully aware of what's happening to our children. They're hurting themselves at staggeringly high levels. In many ways, we've become a people who have gained everything, except we've lost hope. So after spending the winter together looking at our origins and what was lost, I want to spend the next few weeks in spring and Easter Sunday talking about our destination and hope. See, the scriptures say that hope is really important. In fact, the scriptures teach, Paul teaches in a pretty famous verse in, in a book called 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. You hear it at weddings all the time. It's about love. He concludes that whole thing with this. He says, now, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, of course, we, would, we know that, that that is true, that God himself is love. John Eldridge, though, in a book called All Things New, where there are just some wonderful reflections on these truths, and I would point you to that book. There's a small group study. It's really great. He reflects on these three things, and he says, these are not merely virtues, but they are forces, faith, hope, and love. They are forces that are meant to carry your life forward and upward. And he says, while, while love might be the greatest force, hope plays the critical role. Think about it. You're going to find it pretty hard to love when you've lost hope. It's pretty hard to stay in that marriage if there's no hope that it's ever getting better. And faith, I mean, faith without hope, right, it's just like a, a rigid doctrine of rules with, with nothing to hope for. Hope is so essential to life. The writers of the book of Hebrews in the Bible wrote something 2,000 years ago that now every psychologist and psychotherapist 
try saying that, psychotherapist, proclaim in unison the vitality, the importance of hope. Here's what the writer to the, to the book of, in the, the, of the book of Hebrews wrote. Speaking of Jesus, he said, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. You and I, we need an anchor for our soul. So here's the question for you. How are you doing on hope? If you were going to kind of say, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is your hope level? Maybe a better question. Can I give you a better question? Because this one's actually interesting. This is so, like, this is so exciting, okay? Forget about where you are on the hope level. Let me ask you this question. What are you hoping for? Like, examine your heart. What are you, what are you hoping for? C.S. Lewis has this very profound quote. Think about it with me now. He says, we can only hope for what we can desire. So maybe a better question is, what is it that you want? Because you see, I think the reason is the people we've lost so much hope is that we have set our hearts and our minds and, and our desires, we have placed our hope in such small things. What is your ultimate hope that anchors your, your soul? Now, I'm going to explain how pathetic I am here because I thought about this. I tried to do my own internal research. So I examined my own heart to try in my study this week, what is it that I'm hoping for? What is it like this anchoring my soul that allows me to get through the day to day because I'm hoping that this is where I'm going to end up. And you know what it was? A retirement condo in Florida. <laughs> Literally. That's my hope. I get up every day hoping one day that I will be able to eat the early bird special, right? <laughs> that I will not have to drive a car. I could get a golf cart. This is a complete truth. This is very embarrassing what I'm just sharing with you because this is important that we get it. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for, right? Do you know when it, the, the snowstorm hit last Wednesday? Honest to God, truth, I couldn't take it anymore. I went online and I started looking for homes in the villages in Florida. Trying to see, like, how much money do I need so I can get to the villages? Because. You see, and, and, and when this becomes our hope, we're in trouble. Here's why. Because that hope, excuse the French, that hope kind of sucks. Like, that's not that good a hope. Best case, I get a golf cart in the villages. Right? You laugh because you know it's true, right? <laughs> I hope. <laughs> okay, so enter Jesus in the story. Jesus comes and gives his life to give us hope. A hope well beyond Del Boca Vista phase two. Jesus speaks about this hope that he's coming to give you and introduce more than any other thing that Jesus spoke about. More than sin, more than love, more than laws or commandments. He spoke more than anything else about a hope that he referred to as the kingdom of God. Look it up. 
The kingdom of God. The one that you were meant... Remember I told you, you weren't meant to live in this kingdom? You were meant to live in a different one. He spoke more about the one you were meant to live in than any other topic. Every action, every teaching, every miracle, everything he did, it was intentionally directed at unveiling this brilliant and breathtaking hope. And listen, now this is important you understand this. Jesus was not merely talking about the hope of an ephemeral place called heaven. That wasn't what he was talking about, and that isn't your ultimate hope. Don't throw anything at me yet. Here's what Jesus said. You ready? This is so much better than what you've been taught. Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The hope that is so much greater than Del Boca Vista phase two, the hope that is so much greater than, than this kind of concept that we can't really wrap our arms around, this concept of heaven. The hope that is greater than that is this. Jesus is promising something called the renewal of all things. God's promise to you that you can anchor your heart on, your destination, where you're going to spend as followers of Christ through faith, where you are going to spend eternity is in a place where everything has been renewed. This is a promise so amazing, so staggering, so mind-boggling, so exciting, everything you know and love is not going anywhere. It's getting made better, and you're going to spend eternity in it, and no one ever talks about it. Many of you have been going to church your whole lives. No one has ever told you that. As Christians, we grow up in the church, right? We don't even know about this promise. Now, I know we know about the promise of heaven. And I'm not, I'm not talking down about heaven. Heaven is a real place. It is where God is right now. It is where Jesus has ascended to. It is the place where Jesus is preparing to receive you. It is the place where all of our friends and loved ones who have died with faith in Christ are. It is the eternal city. I don't mean to make light of heaven by any means. But for most of us, the promise of heaven is really hard to get your arms around, right? I mean, if I went and said, well, you know, tell me about heaven, what would you say? Because C.S. Lewis says you can really only have hope in the things that you desire for. Well, do you desire to go to heaven? Why? I, I think if I asked most of us, what's heaven like? I mean, people would be going, well, like... Maybe you get wings. You know, uh, there's some descriptions there. You sing a lot. Could be like a really long church service. See, I know you people. You don't like really long church services, right? <laughs> so to desire to have hope in something that you sit around and go, well, I think I might get wings and sing a lot. What if you don't like to sing? What if you don't like church? What kind of anchor for your soul would that be? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. I think many of us have been introduced to the faith 
with our hope not being the incredible promise of everything we love being renewed and restored. I think we were told, we were introduced to the faith in a different way. Not in the hope of that. We were, we were introduced to the, to the hope of escaping hell. Right? That's the hope. Now, let me be very clear. That's a good thing. Hell is not a place you want to wind up. I'm on board with that, and I'm deadly serious. Hell, hell is a real place, just like heaven is. It is a place completely devoid of God. It is where we get our ultimate wish, being our own gods. It is the place of ultimate and final separation from God. But here, you need to understand this. Jesus spoke way more about the kingdom of God than he did about hell. Why? Because a hope that anchors your soul is not, well, I just hope I don't go to hell. A hope that anchors your soul needs to be placed in the concept that Jesus is going to restore, remake, renew everything you love, and it's going to be better, and you're going to enjoy it forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let me show you. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for renewal is a word, palingensia, palingensia, which is derived from two root words. Remember I told you you need to understand your past so you can understand your future. You need to understand origins so you can understand destinations. Palingenesia is derived from two words. Paling meaning again and genesia meaning beginning, which of course kind of harkens ourselves back to Genesis. So do you know what Jesus is promising you? Genesis again. Eden restored. We go back to what we were made for. We go back to where we were made to be. We get it all again. Now, we have not been taught this well. But Jesus' followers were. See, when Jesus talked about the renewal of all things, nobody looked at him and goes, what are you talking about? Because they, they knew their Old Testament. They studied it as children. It was kind of rammed into their souls. They could recite the first five books of the Bible. Most of the good young rabbinic students, they could recite it by heart. And so they knew their history. There was a prophet Isaiah. We quote him a lot at Christmas time. You know, Isaiah talked a lot about the renewal of all things. Let me show you. Here's what he said. He said, those that, that the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. He goes on. He says, I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Can you imagine You can't imagine the people, they're just like us. I mean, they, they, they have a sense of the kingdom around them because they see beauty and joy, but it's also mingled with desperation and hurt and pain. And so you could imagine that they would say to Isaiah, Isaiah, when will all of this take place? And God speaks and says, stay with me here. He says, look, see, I'll create new heavens 
and a new earth. The former things won't be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be the delight and its people a joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. This is not, guys, just the promise of a heaven, a wonderful place. But it is the promise of a new earth. The things that you know and love. A place with immense familiarity to you made new. Peter, he, he followed Jesus around and heard lots of his teachings on the Palagenesia. And so Peter wrote this. He said, repent. That's a fancy religious word for change your mind about things. Turn away. Go in a different direction. Repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now listen to this. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through Isaiah. The word restore here that Peter uses, another great Greek word, apokastasis, apaka, I gotta try that, apokatasasis, which means to put something back to its original condition, to restore something to its created glory. This is the word that, that Jesus uses, or Mark uses when he describes what Jesus did to the paralytic's hand when he healed it. Jesus doesn't give him a new hand, does he? He restores his hand. It's not something brand new. It's something made new. The Bible that you're holding this morning, if you brought one with you, it ends with a book called Revelation. We talked about origins. I mean, if you want to read about your final destination, spend some time in Revelation. This truth might be a revelation to you, but here's what the writer, a man named John, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, here's what he said when, when God gave him a vision of how the end would be. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people. Do you see Genesis again here? And he's going to dwell with them, and they're going to be his people, and God himself will be with them, and it'll be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, and I, I almost feel the hair stand up on my neck, I am making everything new. And then he said, I love this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. John, you need to write this down, because people are going to lose hope. You need to write this down, John. You need to go and tell them, I am going to fix it all, everything they love. I'm taking what I created and said was good, and I'm restoring it back to what I said it was. You see this in the life of Jesus everywhere. He preaches about the kingdom of God, but he keeps revealing it, right? Where Jesus goes, the kingdom goes. What happens where Jesus goes? The deaf hear. Did they get new ears? No, they're restored. The blind see. Did they get new eyes? No, they're restored. The dead are raised to life. In two weeks, we're going to celebrate 
the ultimate story of restoration. Easter morning, and what happens? Jesus walks out of the grave, alive, restored. The undeniable promise of restoration. What happens to Jesus happens to us. Did Jesus get wings? Did Jesus only speak in song from that point on? No. Everything you love, you, every place you, you care about, it'll all be made new. N.T. Wright, a biblical scholar, said this. He wrote that the early Christians understood and believed that God was going to do for the earth what he did for Jesus at Easter. Now, I don't know when you came to an understanding of God. A lot of us, if you were around a little bit longer, uh, in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of apocalyptic visions of, uh, of, of this concept. I remember sitting on the beach reading uh, Hal Lindsey, The Late Great Planet Earth. And there are certainly scriptures that, that talk about end times, but, but there are, the, the focus of them predominantly are not on annihilation, but on restoration. See, the reason that I think that we don't look forward to the things of the kingdom, that they're not an anchor for our soul is, number one, our hope is just that we don't go to hell, and number two, we're scared because we think that God is just going to annihilate everything. But that's not what the scriptures say. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he's going to reveal to us later. For all of creation, where we are now, where we live, it's all waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. There's Genesis origins. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers, we groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Can I get an old man amen? We wait with eager hope for the day when, when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies that he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. We were given this hope when we were saved. I have to be honest with you. Nobody gave me this hope when I was saved. They just told me if I believed the right way. And then they told me I didn't really have to act a certain way. But then they went on to make sure I understood I did need to act a certain way. Um, then I wouldn't go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. And that's a very real place. But what should motivate you more than anything and give you joy, unspeakable joy, is the concept of the restoration of all things. I love how the message version of this, this scripture puts it. it. Eugene Peterson, when he wrote it, he said, this is how he, he wrote it. He said, the world itself can hardly wait. The world can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God is reigning it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. Consider Jesus' post-resurrection life. What does he do? He does a lot of the same things he always did. Walks around, meets with friends, Goes to people's homes for dinner. He has conversations. Picnic on the beach. Cook out with friends. It's the same Jesus. He doesn't go off to a church service in the sky. 
It is restoration of everything you love, not annihilation of it. And if you would think of the implications of believing this for your life, I mean, if you could really start to rest in this hope, I'll give you one implication. This makes the concept of bucket list silly, right? Like, we're all trying to squeeze it all in. I got to get, oh, you know, here's what's, I mean, I got mine, right? I want to go to Rome. I'd like to go to the Holy Land. I, you know, why? Because I got to get it in. Breaking news. It's not going anywhere. It's just going to be better. I mean, go see Yosemite. But if you don't get there, imagine how Yosemite is going to look restored and renewed. I mean, I want to get to Paris and take my wife to Paris, to Paris the city of lights. Imagine the streets of Paris where there is sin no more. Take a rest. Look forward to what is coming. It's going to be better than it is now. Now, here's another implication. This is interesting, right? Peter talks about this hope that nobody talks to us about. Here's what he said about it. He said, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Interesting, right? It's kind of a call out, in a sense, into our modern world. Do you know why? Let me ask you a question. Do you know why nobody comes up and asks you about the hope you have? Because your hope looks just like theirs. I hope I get some tickets to the game. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I can keep my job. I hope my pathology report comes back all right. The hope that Jesus died to give you an eye is so believable that if you got it and you trusted in it and you rested in it, all of your anxiety starts to go away and you start actually living with expectant excitement about days to come, not trying to squeeze the most out of this life, but beginning to build into the next one. It is a hope that can anchor your soul. And when you live this way, you know what? People are going to start to go, dude, what is up with you? Why are you so excited? What, what, what's going on? What are, you, what are you so expecting about? Because... Everybody's hope is not to go to hell. As daughters and sons of the Most High God, you have, been, you have been adopted into sonship and daughtership, and you are given the promise of the renewal of everything that you love. Now, how do you do this? How do you, how do you live this way? How do you let hope grow in your soul? Well, here's what Paul said. He said, look, since you've been raised with Christ, you now need to set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Stop setting your heart on the villages, right? I don't dwell on the renewal of all things. I dwell on if my 401k will get me a four-seater golf cart in the villages. That's what I dwell on. But the scripture says stop dreaming about those things and start making very real plans for what you're going to do in the coming kingdom. It'll change the way you live. I'll ask you a question. Here, you want a homework assignment for the week? Here's what I want you to do. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'd love to see these. Somebody told me outside after first service, a really good one. Actually, one we're going to talk about next week. I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start to think and dream and set your heart upon what are the first three things you're going to do at the renewal of all things? Because you need to start believing that this is a tangible promise to you. What are you going to do? Everything is new and better restored. So I started thinking about it. 
My favorite place on earth, and I know, you know, maybe I don't set my, my sights high enough. My, my favorite place on earth is Ocean City, Maryland. I grew up going to the beach there as a little boy. I love Ocean City, Maryland. And so I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, I, you know, I guess some of you are going to Paris or Rome. I, I'm, when all things are made new, I, I can't wait to see Ocean City made new, right? And if you've been to Ocean City, there's a lot of sin down there, too. So I can only imagine how great it's going to be when it's all cleaned up. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? I never, I never got to take my grandmother with me to Ocean City. And I loved my grandmother. Oh, I loved her so much. She was such a wonderful woman. And uh, she's the greatest loss I've experienced to date. And I started thinking, you know, and my grandmother's body got all messed up by a pregnancy. And so she suffered a lot. And I thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to grab my grandmother. And I'm going to go to Ocean City. We're going to sit on one of the restaurants, you know, with the palm trees and the water and, and the bands and the music. And I said, I'm going to sit there with my grandmother. And we're going <laughs> to drink wine together. And I'm going to tell her about our grandchildren and everything she missed. I started, getting, I started getting excited about this. Do you realize? And I started thinking about my wife and my daughters. My wife lost her dad this year. And I started thinking, you know, maybe Joan could go get her dad. Her dad never got to spend time with us in Ocean City. And he could come and, and he could sit with us there. And, and as I was dwelling on it and starting to plan for it, I started thinking about the band playing. And I thought to myself, you know, I... I I don't dance a lot because I'm too worried about how stupid I look. But then I started thinking, in the kingdom, I probably won't care. Um, or maybe I'll be able to dance, one or the other. But um, <laughs> So I started thinking, you know, and, and my family knows there's this one dance floor at Figures Island where we like to dance. And I'm thinking, I'm going to take my grandma out and I'm going to dance. And I thought about Joan's dad. And Joan's dad was a wonderful follower of Jesus, but he, he grew up in a very fundamental, fundamental kind of environment. So he believed that he couldn't dance. And I started thinking this morning... I can see me going out to dance with my grandma and, and, and Carl standing there and Joan looking at him and Jesus looking at Carl going, it's all right, go dance with your daughter. The renewal of all things is so much better than what you thought. It makes so much more hope than all this other stuff. I mean, it's not nirvana, the total non-existence that the Buddhist hopes for. It's not the everlasting tranquility of death that the Hindus expect. It is a promise that answers the human dilemma because our lives are filled with so much love and joy and beauty. We all see those moments. And every once in a while it feels like life might just get knit back together again. There are hints of this everywhere. You're about to experience. You might say, this sounds too good to be true. Drive home today and tell me what you see. Dead trees, frozen ground, dirt. In six weeks, you're going to drive home from here. And you know what you're going to see? Trees and flowers and grass. You're going to see the renewal of all things. It's true. I, I, once you start to understand this, you start to see it playing out everywhere. The hope... That, that, that we have, that all things, that, that the stuff that happens here isn't going to happen eventually. And so I was flipping the channels this week. Um, there's nothing on. I'm waiting for the Mets season to start, which is, I don't know why, but there's no hope there. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm flipping the channels, and uh, I came across American Idol. And they literally just came across this, and I, I watched it, and I said, oh, Lord, it's the renewal of all things. Check this out. Hello. Oh, my How God. are you? It's good to see How you. How are you, man? Doing really well. Hey, so uh, tell us about yourself. I am David Francisco. Um, 
25 years old. I moved to Nashville to do music in 2016, and then I actually got hit by a car oh. um, and paralyzed from the waist down. Oh. Just three weeks after I moved to Nashville, a distracted driver ran a red light and T-boned me on my bicycle. I don't remember anything except for waking up in the hospital and asking, why aren't my legs on the bed? And I looked down, and sure enough, there's my legs on the bed, but I can't feel them. When they told me that I was paralyzed from the waist down, I thought, everything's over. Music's over, relationships are over. I cried every single day for months. And then I'm in bed one night, and I see my foot move just a little. Within the next two, three months, I had a lot of improvement. And that continued for until today, really. I don't take anything for granted now. While I was recovering, I got a letter from a friend. When I heard about what happened to David, I was devastated. And I wrote him, hopefully encouraging him to not give up at all. Wow. We ended up reconnecting through the accident. I was amazed by how she didn't seem to be faced by the fact that I was in a wheelchair. He is the most joyous, the most energetic, the bright light of the room. Life is so much fun with him. And I cry, but I also laugh. I think we're super blessed. Hi, welcome to American Idol. I'm so happy to stand by his side. Being on American Idol is huge because this is the next step, trying to reincorporate myself into real life and then maybe I could someday support myself with music. This lovely lady is my fiance, oh, who I talked so much about, holding oh. the guitar. Um, wow, Fab. You've come a long way, though. Yeah. Congratulations. Honored to be here. You've been really. blessed. Let's hear you sing. Let's yeah. do it. Well, the song I'm going to do is Isn't She Lovely? Yeah, let's yeah. hear it. Nice. Very good. Yeah. So, isn't great. she lovely? Thank you so much. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? Isn't she pretty? Less than one minute old. I never thought the love we'd be making one as lovely as she. He's giving life to one. It's so very lovely. Made from love. Isn't she lovely? Stop. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Bring it in. Bring it in. No, I'll come to you. All right. All right. Oh. <laughs> Great job. You are an inspiration to us all. Good job. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> First of all, I've lost my voice, but like I'm just watching her and like. Yeah. <laughs>
how in love she is. I'm yeah. just losing it. <laughs> it's okay. You know what it is? The blessing of life yes. yeah. is your spirit. Do you feel it? And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And your hope is not that you're going to get wings and float on a cloud. Your hope, and I hope you feel it, is that Jesus died so that you might live with the hope of the renewal of all things.